Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Father Michael Kaiser. Jesus says, which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God, and the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Jesus is in one of his in-your-face moods in terms of uh, teaching. There are times when he could be very gentle, there are times when he could be very merciful, and there are times when he would basically rhetorically give you one across the chops because he really felt that that's what you needed at that time. But unfortunately, see, the reading comes in about halfway through the eighth chapter of Mark's Gospel. And that's the problem, because we're trying to figure out what is he going on about. We have no idea what's going on here. Jesus is preaching in the temple in Jerusalem. How do we know that? Because we hear what he's talking about to the people who are there, and we know believe it or not, what the readings were in the temple on particular days. They had a lectionary of scripture just like we have a lectionary of scripture. Okay, when you do more and when you do matins and vespers in our tradition, you get two readings, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. Well, in in the temple of the synagogue, they would have had two or maybe three readings, but they all obviously would have been from the Old Testament. And what Jesus is referring here to specifically is the book of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. And the lo- but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory shall be seen upon you. The nation shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. The prophet is comparing the former Israel, which had been crushed by the Persians and by the Babylonians, to that which is going to be risen when the Messiah himself comes. And Jesus had an annoying tendency, to apply, for as far as his audiences were concerned, to apply these things to himself. And when he goes to his own home church, which is the synagogue in Capernaum. Yeah, I mean, that's where, you know, his parents raised him, everybody in the village knew him, you know, all this good stuff. Uh, And, you know, he was known probably as a little odd, you know, constantly walking around the hills, talking to whatever. But, I mean, you know, everybody seemed to like him and, and, and what have you. And they, any Jewish male had the right to preach in the synagogue. Any Jewish male had the right to comment upon the readings as they were. And sometimes it wouldn't just necessarily be the rabbi. Uh, Although I imagine if you taught something that was not kosher, they would stop you very quickly. But still, I mean, it wasn't just the rabbi, any Jewish male. And so, you know, they might pick somebody. And they might, okay, Jesus, you haven't done this in a while. Would you mind? Oh, sure, no problem. You know, he gets thumbs up and and he, he reads this prophecy of what the world will become like when the Messiah comes. 
and it deals with sight will be restored to the blind, health will be restored to the sick, uh, the poor shall have, you know, be, be taken care of. He goes through this whole list of things that the prophet Isaiah ascribes to the coming of the Messiah. And then he shuts the book and he says, today, this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. And they throw him out. They figure he's lost it completely. Uh, you know, let him go off to D.C. and make a march or something like that. But, I mean, this guy is obviously off his rocker. We don't want him preaching in our synagogue. Yeah. Uh, as we will see later, he will do this again. And again, it will make the Jews very, very angry. The Jews were a people who were waiting for God to act. And we're getting a little wondery as to why he wouldn't do that. Okay, why they were still an occupied country. Why was it the Romans who had them this time instead of the Persians and, and the Babylonians, you know? Uh, you know, we have all these cool prophecies and all that as, as to what the world's going to be like. Uh, why, why isn't anything happening? And so as a result, very much today, as like today, people whose hopes are constantly disappointed turn to violence, turn to terrorism. And so you had a group known as the Zealots who would specialize at, you know, walking up through a crowded marking place and coming up behind a Roman soldier and just giving him one of the kidneys and disappearing before anybody noticed what had happened. Uh, that's one of the reasons Jerusalem had Pontius Pilate and a whole lord, a, Roman, a whole horde of Roman soldiers uh, every Passover, including the one at which Jesus would offer himself up. But we know what feast this is because of what he's preaching about and what he is referring to in the scriptures. And that is the Feast of Sukkoth, the Feast of the Tabernacles. In other words, for us, the Feast of the Transfiguration. Lord, it is good for us to be here, Peter says. Let us build three booths, three tents, okay? because that's what they did when they wandered through the wilderness. And every year they had this kind of Thanksgiving, well, not kind of, it was a Thanksgiving festival, for having survived wandering 40 years in the wilderness, or whatever it was, and for God providing for them, and they would put up these tents, which were to represent the villages they built along the way. You know, because they were constantly moving. Now, they might stay someplace a long time, uh, but eventually they, the Holy Land was up that way, on the other side of Jordan. So if the land that was promised to them was up there, they had to go up there. And they also basically had to fight their way to it because, oddly enough, there are a whole bunch of people between them and the Holy Land who said, excuse me, uh, we're standing right here in front of us. You can't see us? You know, really, I mean, we live here. This is our land you're trampling over. What's going on? So they had to fight their way all the way uh, through uh, people who weren't too thrilled to see them show up like a Jericho, and people like the Phoenicians, you know, uh, all kinds of people. So it was a long, hard, like I said, 40-year snarl. There was no GPS. There was no way they could, okay, no, if we take a left here at this creek and go over this hill, it's going to cut 30 miles off the trip, you know, kind of thing. That didn't exist. 
So they had the Feast of the Tabernacles in the temple. And of course, the temple was a place of 24-7 nonstop worship, as was the early church in Jerusalem. You know, services went on 24-7, which was why they had such a staff of clergy. Uh, and the same thing was true in, in the temple. That's why you had the priests. That's why you had the Levites. The Levites are kind of 24-7 altar servers, you know. And they were the ones who kept the, the incense going and kept the offerings coming. You know, hey, hey, Bernie, bring that bull in here, you know. And they'd drag the bull in, they'd put it on the altar, and they'd start stabbing it to death so they could uh, make the blood offering to God. And the temple would be ablaze with light on the Feast of Sukkoth. All of these lamps would be hanging all over because of the readings that I just went through and what have you, that the glory of the light of God shining from the temple would draw kings, would draw other nations to the one true God. So Jesus is preaching in the temple, and when I say it, not necessarily doing it like I am here, because the temple was a huge place, it was like a cathedral. And where there, there were things going on all the time. I mean, I, I remember once, and this is many, many years ago, being in a Roman Catholic cathedral somewhere, at which Mass was being said at one altar. There were a group of people coming down the side aisle doing the, doing the stations of the cross. There were people lined up in front of confessionals. I mean, it was just, you know, a three-ring circus. Everything worked. You know, they did it well. There were no problems. They were used to it, you know. But that's kind of like the temple was. Somebody would come in, like Mary and Joseph eventually would, and want to make an offering on behalf of their child. Uh, or because of some particular act they had to atone for, or what have you. Uh, there were set hours during the day when liturgical services were done that the priest presided over, so you had to have the incense. And <coughs> what they did before they figured out how to impregnate with charcoal, with gunpowder, I don't know. Just, I don't know. <laughs> because, uh, you know, you had to have charcoal going all the time just in case some priest decided to throw a handful of incense on it. And if it didn't go off, you know, you, you were off the road for the next service. Uh, and Jesus is talking to them, and he's getting resistance. Because, again, he's standing in the midst of God's temple on a feast that commemorates their trip to the Holy Land, and all of a sudden, it's all about him again. You know, he's talking about himself. He's applying things to himself that God, uh, that, that they believe only apply to the one true God. So let me back up just a bit. Again, he said to them, I go away and you will seek me and die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Then said the Jews, will he kill himself? Since he says, where am I going and you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below. He may as well have called them a dog. I told you that a couple of weeks ago. You call somebody from the Middle East a dog, and you better be very, either very well armed or running when you do that. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak thus as the Father has taught me. 
And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I am always do for I always do what is pleasing to him. And as he spoke thus, many believed in him, but you gotta figure many didn't. And figured, okay, this whack job has finally found his way down to Jerusalem. We need to do something about this. Jesus then said to the Jews who have believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, Abraham is our father. If you are Abraham's children, you would, do, you would do what Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You do what your father did. And they said to him, we are not born of fornication, but we have one father, one God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I am preceded and came forth from God. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. Yeah, let's stick it a little further in there. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. And then we pick up. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Good way to pick up converts. But you see, that all wraps up with what we begin in the church today on what we call the first Sunday of Passion Tide on Passion. You know, people are often surprised, even people from the Eastern Rite of the Orthodox Church who are not used to the idea of covering images at all. But you walk in, and all of a sudden, all the stuff you saw before, like the cross and the icons and all of that, are completely invisible. They're covered. You cannot see them. Well, you cannot see them because on this day, the begin church begins really emotionally and spiritually to pull into itself in meditation, in thought. Now, Jesus said to them, the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Now, I'm hoping someday that somebody establishes a website for Orthodox called Externals Are Us, because we've got so much stuff, you know. I mean, it's like being a kid in a candy store the first time you come, you know. Oh, God, there's something hanging there. Why is that guy's purse on fire for crying out loud? He's swinging it back and forth like that, you know. But at this point, at least in the Western part of the Orthodox tradition, all that goes away. We seek to draw into our own hearts. We seek to draw into our own noose, that word I've given you before, that that intelligent, reasoning, communicating part of the soul, which is where we hear God. 
if you listen to the readings, and you really need to follow the readings daily to understand what we're going through. The same, re- you know, re- similar to the readings we did at Matins at morning prayer this morning, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. The church begins to concentrate not so much on our sins and our need for repentance, which has been the emphasis from Ash Wednesday until now, but upon what God did, what God's action was, what Jesus did in giving himself up for us. And what Jesus is telling the people in the temple at the Feast of the Tabernacles is the same thing he tells us now. I am the way. I am the, there is no way to the Father except through me. In fact, he goes on. And the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I have not a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one, that's the capital zero, there is one who seeks it and he will be the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, he's not talking about the fact that we will never physically die, because that's built into the creation now. And we did that. By rejecting the life of eternal life, the eternal life that God gave us, we, we did that to ourselves. But the death he's talking about is a lot more frightening than what's going to happen to me if, you know, I hit 75 and face plant then or whatever. The kind of death he is talking about is the kind of death that Lucifer and the demons live now. A life that is separate from God. A life in which you have no connection with God. Or as some theologians say, and this is a fairly recent development, maybe the last 50, 60 years, when we talk about heaven and hell, we're talking about spiritual states, of course, we're not talking about um, physical ones. But the fact is, heaven and hell, I remember being taught very clearly at St. Vlad's, are essentially going to be the same place. For those who rejoice in the light of God, it will be glory and joy. For those who are forced to be in the light of God and hate the light, despise God's light, want nothing to do with God's light for eternity, that will be hell. So what he's saying is, if you you want to live in the light of God for all eternity and not come out of that somehow extra crispy, you know, you really, really need to pay attention to what it is I am saying here. And then he goes on, because, of course, you know, they say, well, who, who stands for you? you know? And he says unto them, I and the Father are one. Man never took the Dale Carnegie course, even by correspondence. No. I and the Father are one. Now, see, the book of Deuteronomy, 49th chapter, I think you can find the verses by yourself, you're intelligent people, but 49th chapter of Deuteronomy says that no charge can be sustained against anyone except there are what? Two witnesses. Two witnesses. 
years ago when I was working in England and in Scotland. Uh, I was driving to Scotland with a Scottish priest. Yeah, it sounds all really weird. You know, and, you know, you in, what you can do, even if you're in the southern part, is, you know, like you stop off and visit wineries in California. And now even, believe it or not, God help us, places like Florida. Florida wine? Mm. Uh, you can do that with distilleries, with whiskey. They don't use the term scotch over there. It's just whiskey. Uh, with whiskey distilleries. And we, we had done that. You know, even before getting to Scotland. So we were, you know, kind of happily heading on down the road at a relatively elevated rate of speed. And a policeman pulled out behind me, us. And, you know, my friend who was driving, actually he was sitting here at West Scotland after all, uh, looked up and he just floored it. Absolutely floored it. You know, we're, just, we're tearing down there. You know, at, at God only knows how much speed. And the cop is behind us. He's, you know, he's not losing us. He's right behind us. And I saw the sign that said Scotland, one mile. And all of a sudden, I knew what he was doing. Because Scottish law says that to prove any charge against anyone, you must have two witnesses. And there was only one cop in the car. So we went tearing across the border and then immediately slowed up, stopped, and pulled over to the side of the road. And the cop came steaming up behind us. And he says to Father, do you have any idea how fast you were going? And he said, not really. I was just pushing it as far down as it would go. And he said, you're going to go to jail for this. And Father said, who's your other witness? And the cop just went, R-O-F-L. Because he said, you're right, you got me. <laughs> he said, if I'd gotten you on the other side of the border, I'd be carting you off now. You know. That all comes back, thank God, to the book of Deuteronomy uh, and the Presbyterian Scots. So, you know, Jesus says, you need two witnesses. The two witnesses are myself and my father, because I and my father are one. And it is at that point that they reach for rocks to stone him with, because he had just committed blasphemy to claim to be God for a pious Jew, or for someone to claim to be God for a pious Jew, was blasphemy. And the penalty for blasphemy was being stoned to death, and not the way we were doing it going to Scotland. This is the beginning of the end of the Lenten journey. And from now on, what I want you concentrating on is not, you know, pain, agony, anguish, and passion. All of that will be there. But what I want you to concentrate on is the fact that the entire Holy Trinity lives within us, within our hearts, within our noose, is what, you know, Jesus means when he says the heart. You know, if your heart is pure, if your noose is pure, then you prepare yourself by accepting responsibility for those things you have done that you know perfectly well are not godly. I am very much of the opinion that we know exactly when we sin. We really do. Because usually we've thought about it in advance. Maybe not really planned out actually.
acts and deeds and what have you, but we, we think about we think sinful thoughts all the time. And to concentrate on that and offer up to God this Easter as pure a heart as you can manage to do. And I mean that literally, as pure as you can manage. You know, the word talaios in Greek, which we translate as perfect, you know, Jesus says you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, means to live up to the maturity that you are capable of at the time. In other words, it's a moving target. And the maturity I am capable of at 71 is hopefully better than I was at 51 and might even be better if I make it to 81. That's how it's supposed to be going. God has his own view of these things. God has his own timetable of things. And you don't need to know where you're supposed to be. You just need to be trying. You just need to be picking yourself up and moving forward each time you trip and go down. They know there really is no angel checking things off. <laughs> That's not how it works. God already knows what sins you're going to commit today. He knew that before he created the world. God does not live in the past or in the future. God simply is. I am, he tells Moses, and this is what Jesus says. He says, as my father, as I am, which is why they get so upset with him. God lives eternally, well, if you wish to use the cant phrase in the moment, now. He sees past and future all at once. He knows what prayers I'm going to pray tonight. That doesn't mean I, can't, I, I shouldn't pray them. What it means is that I have to pray them. I have to fulfill what is his will for me. And if I turn back from praying for somebody that I was supposed to pray for tonight because I'm angry or resentful or mad or whatever, I got a problem. God sees everything as it was, as it will be, and as it is. So he really doesn't care what calendar date you're doing something on. What he cares is that you take responsibility for it. As we say now, man or woman up. And that you persevere at it. You persevere. You keep trying. And if that perseverance sometimes seems like you're barely hanging on by your fingernails, praise God. Some people let go a long time ago. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Talks at Advent. Homilies and Reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.